Welcome to Automators. I'm David Sparks, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard. Hey, Rosemary. Hey, David. How are you today? I am very pleased to be speaking with you because of our podcast recording schedule. It's been a few weeks, and I've yes. missed you, and I've missed talking I've about missed automation. Too. Yeah, we should do that more. Wait, we have a podcast. Let's do it on the podcast. Yeah, well, I've been you and I have been talking. We've been trading Apple scripts and other kind of nerdy stuff, but we haven't been on the mic. And this is an episode we had written down on our list early in the show. We just never got to it till today. But yes, today we're going to talk about document automation and document templates. Aren't you excited? excited? I'm so excited. This is such a theoretically boring and nerdy topic. And we're going to have so much fun with it because there are just so many ways where you can get really automation crazy and nerdy and create great results. Yeah, I have um, a bit of an announcement before we get started, though. On August 27, I'm doing a webinar. First time I've ever done this um, on Keyboard Maestro. Lately, I've been really changing my workflows for Keyboard Maestro. I've been working in context. So like when I want to work on Mac Sparky, Keyboard Maestro gives me those tools. And when I want to work on the Mac, Keyboard Maestro gives those tools or I want to work on the legal stuff. It's just kind of an extension of the way I've been doing shortcuts on my iPhone and iPad. And I'm really pleased with the way it's been working out. So I wanted to share it with the folks. It's not just for field guide customers. It's for everybody. You can get in for free. Uh, there's a link at maxsparky.com. Just go there and you can sign up for it. It's on August 27 at 10 a.m. We're going to have a couple special guests, at least one, one of which is Rosemary Orchard. Yeah. I'm going to have to uh, pull out, pull a rabbit out of my hat and show off something fancy with Keyboard Maestro for everyone. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So I'm going to kind of talk through what I'm doing with the context. Rose is going to do a little something. Uh, it will be added content to the Keyboard Maestro field guide when it's all done, but you can go in and watch it for free. So just go and do that. Sign up for it, like I said, August 27th at 10 a.m. Uh, in the past, I've done some of these things where we were limited to 100 people. That is no longer the case. I have written checks and now I can accommodate everybody. So go sign up, please. And we'll see you on the 27th. But that's not why we're here today. We're here today to talk about documents. Yes. And I mean, uh, what kind of documents can we can we do this with? Because I know most of the time when I do this, it's actually plain text, which sounds very strange, but it works for me and it works great. But what kind of stuff do you do document you know, template automation with David. Yeah, I mean, you know, the underlying problem is a lot of us use similar but not identical documents, whether you're in sales or I'm in law or whatever you do. Um, you've got, you know, documents you use repeatedly, but things change. And as good automators, the question to us is how can we change them? And the problem gets more complex with the complexity of the document. Like plain text is the easy one. We're going to talk about that. There's some really cool stuff you can do with templates in plain text, or that's, I think, one of the reasons why Markdown is so good. And by the way, if you don't listen to Mac Power Users, we did a whole episode on Markdown recently. You might want to go check that out if you're an automator fan. But uh, so plain text is one solution. Another uh, document automation trick is the web, you know, doing stuff on the web. And we got some ideas for that today. And I think the hardest one is formatted documents like Microsoft Word and Pages and rich text documents. Those are a little harder to automate, but we got some uh, we got some solutions for you. We're going to drop some knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, So let's start with the easier one, the text. Um, What are the problems you have with text and document automation? How are you solving them? 
Well, I mean, the most common use case, um, and I'm just going to say here, you know, my templates are, tend to be, you know, this thing has, you know, say, for example, we are doing a, an episode of Automators. We have a template for each episode outline. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that we script it. You know, we 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 just have an outline, but we have certain stuff that has to go in there. You know, if we have a guest on the show, we want to make sure the link is in there for them to upload. But that means that I basically have to fill in the gaps, m- m- basically variables. Um, and so for me, most of the time, my biggest problem is getting those variables into whatever system it is that I'm using to automate. Because sometimes I want to just type everything in. And other times I don't want to just type everything in. I, I want it to come from somewhere else. You know, maybe it's been parsed out of Airtable or maybe it's been sent via Zapier to Pushcut um, and then Pushcut's putting that into shortcuts for me. And that can be a bit tricky to do. Yeah. Um, why don't we take on this show outline problem? So that's a um, plain text to web doc you know, document automation. But when you and I decide to make a new episode of automators, we, you know, we get on the phone, we talk about potential guests and topics, and then you have, I believe it's a Zapier automation that spits out an outline for us. Yeah. And that spits out an outline as a formatted Google doc, um, just to give you a picture of the end goal. So what we do, you know, aside from the talking, we also put all the data into Airtable because Airtable lets us go ahead and make sure that we've got all of the necessary fields filled in. It's very easy to go through and see that there's a column missing here. And that would be something that then either we just need for reference purposes or it gets put into the document. Um, And then uh, when we have enough fields filled in in that particular row, it shows up in a view in in Airtable and Zapier is watching this view and it looks at it and goes, oh, hey, there's something in this view. That means I need to go ahead and create an outline. Um, And so that's how that Zapier automation works. And then it goes through and it pulls out data um, and it pulls out all of these different columns. And inside of Zapier, I have a text action, um, which is just, it's plain text, but it's markdown formatted. And then I drop in, in a lot of different places, uh, these Airtable columns as variables. And so this then produces a, a much more complex text, which has actually got everything in. So instead of it saying, hello, guest, it might say, hello, David, or hello, Sal, or hello, Tim, depending on who we're having on the show. Yeah. So you're using variable fill-in from an Airtable field. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I did go ahead and I'm using the scripting action to do this. I'm sure there's a much better way, but uh, I'm using the scripting action with JavaScript to determine whether or not there's a guest and to set another variable based on whether or not we have a guest. Um, And basically what this does is it sets the the body of the document, the primary body of the document to um, one thing if we have a guest and something else if we don't have a guest. So it means that then, you know, if we do have a guest, it has you know, like a quick hello and a summary of how it's going to work and things that they need to bear in mind and yes. where to upload the audio to. And then if we don't have a guest, it gives us different text. Yeah. If we've got a guest, it gives them our cell phone numbers if they get, you know, stuck in traffic or whatever. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, Important the, information like that. What we'd call the content episodes where we don't have guests, the outline is a lot simpler. Yeah. Now, this isn't generating the actual text, the outline. For instance, today's episode, when when the script got done running, it didn't have all the points we're going to talk about. But it has, you know, the beginning, the ending, and the point headings, uh, you know, that we can start working from. And uh, Exactly. It's great. Yeah. Now, you also do some clever automation on this, just to dive right into the deep end. 
based on the episode number. Because another trick of the automators is generally I do the intro and publish the even ones, and Rose does the intro and publishes the uh, the odd ones. Well, see, you think it's done on the episode number, and I've managed to hoodwink you there. Yeah. So inside of our Airtable, originally I had it based on the episode number, but every so often, for whatever reason, uh, we do have to trade episodes. Yeah. Um, and we still try and keep, you know, the recording, you know, for as as normal but i have a responsible column in Airtable, yeah um and this links to a host overview page where we have helpful information about us which also means that we know who for example who is the primary person who has talked to a specific guest or something and then uh that links to itself and it has a field called co-host yeah um and so what it does is when when it creates the new episode it'll have something at the beginning like hello i'm david sparks um and it looks at that and then it checks the co-host field and goes and i'm talking to rosemary orchard and that's all filled in through another table i did have it based on the episode number originally again that was in javascript but it meant that when we traded off something then one of us would have to manually go in and modify the outline which yeah. uh well manual things tend not to happen or don't happen as expected um so i decided that i would much rather uh go ahead and just add an extra column here you know, I, I, you didn't notice it, so I've been keeping on top of my work there. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, it that's works. Great. Yeah, so so Rose is using JavaScript, Zapier, and Google Docs to create an online automated mm-hmm. document. And yeah. uh, we switched to Google Docs, and it is there's thing good, good and bad about that, but it um it does work very well with online automation tools. Yeah, we were using Quip before, and this worked really well with Quip too. Um, so, um, but what I've done is when we switched from Quip to Google Docs, I only actually had to add one action inside of Zapier, which was to, um, to convert the markdown to HTML because, uh, Google Docs in Zapier cannot create a document from markdown. It can do it from plain text or it can do it from HTML. And so I said, well, if I convert the markdown into HTML and then create the document with HTML, then we get a formatted document it's not as pretty as i would like i've seen the mac power users outlines they're lovely they're beautiful they uh um, stephen hackett has probably you know written sonnets about how lovely they are uh this is just using the standard google docs templating but it works pretty well uh and i'm quite pleased with it because it means that our outlines magically appear in google docs where we can both see them and it gets added a link to it gets added back to the air table um, and I have been doing a little playing recently, David, of creating an email from Airtable with shortcuts that I can then send to our guests. Yeah, that'd be nice. An automated email to go out with it. The um, So we kind of dove into the deep end there with web automation. I, I want to back up and talk just about plain text automation for a little bit, because <laughs> that's something that is probably the most frequent use for document automation and it's it's the easiest one, honestly. Um, the uh, if you want to do plain text, there's so many ways to do it. I thought we we talk about platforms. For me, the the go to text automation tool is uh, is Text Expander on the Mac because Text Expander has the ability to do fill in fields, which are in essence variables. So you can very easily, if you write some text that you know you're going to be using repeatedly, you just create a new text expander snippet on that. And then from there, once you're in the snippet, you can, you know, create the fill in fields. And one of the things you can do with text expander that I think a lot of people don't realize is 
you can duplicate those variables. So like when you say variable is like name of client, um, you can then copy and paste that variable multiple times inside that text expander snippet. So you don't have to create, if you have the client's name four times, you just put the variable in, in four places. You don't create four separate variables and you only have to type it once. And as you type it the first time, it fills in, in all four places. I think that's a little bit of a power tip. I think people don't realize um, but you know, text expansion with fill in, um, fields is really great. The other thing you can do with text expander that a lot of people I think don't take advantage of is you can also put in the date and the clipboard. So document automation gets really easy. Um, a good example for me is as a lawyer, sometimes I have to send out what they call interrogatories. You know, they're fancy questions when we're, you know, fighting about something in court and often I'll have multiple questions about the same thing. Like I, I get the example that always comes to my mind is recently I had a case involving a federal, um, it was a fancy thing, but there was a long number string that was attached to a federal document that we needed to get details on. So I just cut co- and I had nine of those documents. So I just copied the, the long string number. And then I had made a text expander snippet that had all nine questions and use the clipboard to fill in the uh, the number. So I would copy to the clipboard, then run the snippet once. Then I'd copy it to the clipboard and run the snippet again. And at the end, I had like 81 questions and they all had the exact right number in them. You know, the big thing mm-hmm. of, of automation we talk about is not just speed, but accuracy. And so, you know, between the clipboard, the date snippet and the ability to do fill-ins, Text Expander can do just about any kind of text automation you want. And it works on the Mac and iOS. If you're going to do it on iOS and you're going to use fill-ins, you've got to run it from the Text Expander app. You can't run it from the keyboard. But, you know, you just run it from the app and then you block and copy that text wherever you want to put it. Yeah, Text Expander is great for things like that. I found because I use iOS so much uh, that it you know, because you have to switch out to the app, I would forget. And then I would type something and sit there for a couple of seconds and be like, what's happening here? Yeah. Um, and and then remember. Um, but with split screen, it works really well. Um, and as you said, you know, the accuracy of these things, especially with what you were doing, is really important. And I find that for so many things, you know, if I need to ask questions about seven or eight different, you know, items, then it's much easier to copy that list of seven or eight items and and have something just go through it and spit out those questions for me because then I know they're all right. And I'm sure, especially with legal things, you know, if you make a mistake, that other lawyer is going to be all over it. So you need to watch out for that. They have, I mean, you you hire somebody in the office to check every number. If the guy makes one mistake on the number, you say, no, we don't have any documents on that because that's not the document we're talking about. You know, exactly. lawyers are horrible. But uh, you, you can also do some of this on iOS and Mac now with drafts. And oh, yeah. and I find templating documents in drafts to be a really, it's really uh, useful. Oh, definitely. I actually have quite a few templates in drafts. Now, I will note that most of mine are sort of project templates for OmniFocus. Um, sure. But I also have... Other things. So, for example, when I create screencast online shows, um, then I have a lot of templates that I insert into various documents. So we have specific formats for things like show links and stuff like that. Um, And just being able to tap 
one button and have it pop up with the three fields that I need to fill in. And then it spits it out in the exact right format every single time is great. Or um, another mini template that I use when I'm writing um, my my monthly magazine article for Screencasts Online um, is I tap that and it inserts, you know, the 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 exclamation mark, uh, the square brackets um, and then the open bracket and then the start of the link. And then I just have to paste the file name of the image and it and the cursor is already in the right place. And then it has the closing bracket after that. And that's great for inserting images because they always start with the same uh, URL. And it was really great a couple of weeks ago when I was flying back from Austria on a plane writing the article because I hadn't actually uploaded the images yet, but I knew I was going to upload them and what they were going to be called. So I could insert all of these links without having uploaded them. And then I landed, uploaded the images, checked my preview and, you know, I was good to go. And so I, I went from there. Um, but it's very easy, you know, you mentioned this on the last show, the insert text action um, is a great way to get started with that for, as an, as you know, an action step inside multiple actions, because then you can just insert tons of stuff and it really gets the ball rolling on templates. You know, are you doing the, uh, you know, the proper where it prompts you for a variable name and you, you type it in, then it fills it into the template for you, or are you just doing that manually? Uh, I am doing that. Uh, so I have uh, I, I have a couple of different actions. The one, um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, in, in my OmniFocus uh, template, uh, task paper uh, action group. Um, that one will go through and it finds every single variable that's surrounded with French quotation marks. Of course, if you speak French and you usually write with French quotation marks, this would be logical for most French people, um, then this may be less useful to you if you're writing prose with speech. Um, and quotations, but uh, it goes through and finds them. And I've I've modified that, and I actually have uh, different variables in some cases. So I, sometimes I surround it with the uh, double slashes, um, just because that's very easy to type. Um, and uh, so I have a few different ones, but they all operate on exactly the same script. Yeah. Now you, I want to talk about later um, characters to surround variables because that's something that I am rethinking but i want let's put a pin in that for later because um now i have never got to the point with drafts where i'm doing the it queries me to fill in a field i know there's scripts out there i could use to build one on i just never got around to it the stuff i do in drafts doesn't really need that amount of effort in it but how are you doing that i mean what is it a javascript action what what is it that puts the uh query on the screen for people to fill in so i'm using a custom javascript action um, and I'm talking from memory at this precise moment in time and opening my action to try it and uh, make sure I, I say everything right. Um, but basically what I do is um, I it finds all of the variables first. So the script goes through and it looks using a regular expression. We did a show on regular expressions a while ago. Um, and it looks for all of the variables which are surrounded in these quotation marks. Um, and it, it pops up some other stuff before this and it asks me, you know, if I'm going to put this here or there, but that, you know, that's not what we're after here today. Um, and then it adds this to a list of placeholders for me. Um, and then it actually creates a prompt for every single one of these placeholders or variables as we're calling them today. Um, and, and pops up and says, Hey, what is your, and then shows me the name of the thing inside of the, the quotation marks. Um, and that works really well. What I'm also experimenting with at the moment is another one where it just pops up the one um, single uh, 
prompt, which has all of the variables in. This has benefits and uh, disadvantages. So sometimes it's really useful to be able to see things, you know, like due date and defer date would be a classic example for me in, in one of my templates of, um, you know, two things I need to fill out because when I'm filling them out, I can look at the same time. But sometimes it's also more useful to see that uh, to to have things update in the background as I do things. Now, it depends on which script I'm using as to whether or not the whole template will update in the background um, uh, as I as I go through and fill in the variables. Um, but it's uh, it works quite well. Yeah, I, I think the problem you're describing is something I deal with the keyboard master all the time. Like sometimes you'll have an issue where one variable gets repeated. Uh, a good example for me is when I'm on, working on corporate documents, often the primary shareholder is also the company president. I represent a lot of small companies. So if I do the variable entry all at once, I have to type that person's name twice. If I have it first query, who's the primary shareholder, and then later it'll say, who's the president? It can say, do you want it to be Joe Smith? You know, the person you just wrote down, you know, I can do that. Uh, through a keyboard maestro, but you can do the same thing through JavaScript. Now, yeah, is, yeah. is this JavaScript um, for people who, like me, are barely competent in JavaScript or people who are listening who don't even know how to do JavaScript? Is this something they could modify on their own or is this something where you got to have a pretty high level of uh, expertise with JavaScript to change? Uh, well, the, pro the, the example that's in my OmniFocus task paper, uh, action group is a bit more complex because it's got some extra things running around, but what I'm going to try and do by the time the show releases is have another drafts action in the show, in the show notes for everybody, uh, where there is a simplified version that will just create a new draft from the draft that you're currently in with all of the variables filled out. Yeah. Um, and open that for you because that will be easier to, to see and understand. Um, so I will put that note in my OmniFocus and uh, make sure that it's done by the time the show goes out, if I can. Great, great. I think that'll be that'll be helpful for folks. I I do think document automation and drafts is is something to look at. Now, the way I do it isn't as fancy as Rose, but I don't have any templates and drafts at this point that justify it. I I do all that stuff in key, in uh, text expander. Even I will activate the text expander in drafts. Uh, but to be honest, almost all of my heavy duty writing takes place on a Mac anyway. So it's just not a problem I've bumped into yet, but the, um, but there we go. So we'll, we'll cover that. This episode of the automators is brought to you by PDF pin from smile. Go to smilesoftware.com slash podcasts and let them know you heard about it on the automators. If you haven't checked out PDF Pin lately, it's time. Version 12 is a major upgrade from the past. You can now add page labels and multiple formats for documents, take advantage of new stationery and customize your page designs and zoom up to 2000% with the new magnifier window. So you can really get in there and get the details exactly right. And even optimize your PDF file size as much or as little as needed with options for color, grayscale, or monochrome images, and the ability to remove third-party metadata, to compress documents for sharing, storing, or archiving, all while retaining quality. And all that comes standard in PDF Pin. PDF Pin Pro takes it even further to allow you to seamlessly use DocuSign to sign or send documents easily and securely. And the new versions of PDF Pin and PDF Pin Pro work with PDF Pin for iPad and iPhone allowing seamless editing across devices when used with Dropbox or iCloud. 
I was just using PDF pen on my Mac the other day. I had a long document. It was something I was using on the legal side and I had put a bunch of bookmarks in it. So the whole thing was indexed later. I was on my iPad. I opened up PDF pen and all my bookmarks were there. It was just magic, you know, it came right over. So I was able to take advantage of all that work I did on the Mac right over on the iPhone and iPad. It's a great app. I use it all the time. Now, if you do any work with PDFs, you need PDF pin. Go to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That's once again, that's smilesoftware.com slash podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and let them know you heard about it on the automators. Our thanks to PDF pin for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we've talked about the the plain text side of things, which of course is a great place to start because it's nice and simple. And even if you add markdown, it, it you know, there's not a huge amount that can go wrong, but where I like to have a little bit more fun and, you know, make sure that more things can go wrong, as is always the benefit of any automation, uh, is with word processing type documents. So that's sort of the sort of thing that you'd have like in pages or maybe even Word or something um, afterwards. And I don't do so much of this. But I know, David, you do a lot of this, and I was wondering how you do it. Yeah, I work in, you know, one half of my career is in the business where we still use word processors all the time. So this is an issue I'm always looking to automate. It goes back a long way for me. I used to write automations for Microsoft Word and Word Basic, which was like a basic programming language Microsoft made for Word ages ago and doesn't support anymore. And actually I had some pretty good forms in there. But uh, I've been looking for ways to automate Word and Pages now for several years. I've tried it with Apple scripts and um, just lots of like scripting tools. And I've finally kind of got myself to a happy place with it. But I thought what I would do is kind of talk this through in order of complexity because you don't have to go all the way down the rabbit hole like I have to still get some good automation in your documents. And the easiest way to start with that is just what we call a template document. In fact, Microsoft Word and Pages have templates built right in. So you could make the mm -hmm. perfect letter or perfect sales proposal and save that. And then you could come back and, and fill it in later. And the way a lot of people do this, and I think this is kind of the most basic, is I call it kind of like underline templates where they have a template that says dear and they have an underline or you know they have a slot for the date and they have an underline for the date. And the idea is... Uh, you go through it and you just look for each instance of that kind of that underline or asterisks or whatever character you use to recognize something that needs to be filled in and you just manually type it in from top to bottom. And when you get to the end, you've got the document prepared off a template. Yeah. And that's what I do a lot of as well, because it works very nicely. It's quite simple to get started with. Yeah, it's super easy. Anybody can do it. And it's a nice upgrade. So if you have template documents, why not put some character string? I like I um I would recommend something that is unique, like um for asterisks or for dollar signs, or you know, just pick some oddball character and then you can do a search in the document for that. I would not recommend underlines because they're a pain to remove. And mm -hmm. it, if you have a shorter character strings, you know, three you know, I don't know. Uh, it's easy to oversee things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Three pound signs together. And so you, you go and you select those three and you can just overwrite them with whatever it is that you need to fill in. And then at the end, you do one last search for three pound signs together to make sure you found them all. Yeah. That's good. Um, 
And that's kind of the first level of this. And a lot of people, that's enough. And there you go, word processing automation. Uh, the next level up to that, however, is to create variables instead of having just the three pound signs. Why don't you have two pound signs or four pound signs with two on each side and a word in the middle like date or client name or, you know, widget description or whatever it is that you need to fill in. So rather than having the same, you know, wild card throughout the document, you have separate wild cards for each of what I'll call for lack of a better term, a variable that you want to replace in the document. Um, this is, you know, the next level up. I know a lot of people do that. Um, and it's really useful. I, I think this is, you know, for your money, much more useful than, than the first version I talked about, you know, the simple template without variables. Uh, the way I would recommend you do this is, once you start creating the variables, you either go to the top or the bottom of the document and you create that list of variables. So if you're going to have one for date and you put it, you know, it's, let's say it's in the letter and you've got the date variable at the top of the letter and maybe inside the letter somewhere that you're going to use the date, you go to the very top of the document or the very bottom. And you also put the variable for date there too. And the idea is you collect these variables in a single place because it's easy to miss them if you don't have them in a single place. Um, mm -hmm. So it, let's say at the top of the document, you've got one that says, you know, pound, pound, date, pound, pound. Then the next line says pound, pound, client, pound, pound. And so let's say you got 10 of those. They're all at the top. When you open the template document, you can just do a search and replace for each one of those. And to get even fancier, you select the line, copy the variable, then you paste it in the find and then type in the replace. And then you say replace all. That is a great way of doing it. And I, I personally am all in favor of adding that extra context. So as you said, like pound, pound, date, pound, pound. Now, when you say pound, I assume that you mean the great British pound symbol rather than the hash symbol, right, David? Well, I meant the hash symbol, but you know, whatever. Oh, okay. You, you've, you've let down the side there, but that's okay. I'll, okay. I'll let you redeem yourself later. Uh, but, um, yeah, but doing this really helps because then when you have that list of variables, then you know what that is for. Now, of course you could do pound, pound one, pound, pound two, and put it in a table and then you, you know, add in the next column what it's for, but you're actually creating a lot of extra work for yourself. And especially if at some point you started out and things were in numerical order. So the very first variable was the first in your list was the first one to appear. And then you rearrange things. Uh, it's it's much more difficult. And also just when you're looking at the document as a whole and you're trying to find a mistake, it's a lot more difficult to see if you've got something that's contextless in there. Uh, whereas if you've got, you know, pound, pound, you know, uh, attorney, uh, pound, pound, then you would know that, okay, this probably needs to be filled with the name David Sparks um, if you're looking at it as a manual thing. Yeah. So let's talk about what symbols we use on either side of those variables. Um, so I, when I started doing this, like maybe 30 years ago, I um, I use the asterisk. And so I've got hundreds of things I've created over the years with asterisks in them. But, you know, in the meantime, I became a Markdown fanatic. And anytime I want to go and edit any of this stuff in plain text, it, the formatting goes, you know, it goes kablooey because it, Markdown is looking for bold everywhere, right? Because, yeah. you know, yeah. that's the Markdown symbol for bold. Um, so I really wish I didn't use pound. Uh, recently I thought, well, I'll use carrots, you know, I don't know what you call it in the UK is the carrot, the shift six, is that a carrot or is that the yeah, up arrow? Yeah, that's a carrot. 
Yeah. A good good day, sir carrot. I don't know, maybe you guys have <laughs> It's some... actually a French accent, but okay. <laughs> okay. So I don't know. Anyway. However, to my chagrin, I discovered that Microsoft Word does not like two carrots together. It actually breaks Microsoft Word. It just doesn't do it. So so uh, don't use carrots. Well, the other thing is the carrot appears in regular expressions, which is yeah. something else you might want to take into account. Now, you've been using the example of using two of these, and I am all in favor of two or three symbols before you do one of this kind of variable because it's much more difficult to accidentally type two or three. And if you pick something like, for say, example, the dollar sign. Okay, if you have two dollar signs together, that is not going to be a dollar plus something else. That is going to be a variable. But if you have one dollar sign, then that might be the something that was $13.99. And if you have dollar one as a variable name and you're sending out a pre-prepared document template that is an invoice and something in there is $199.99 and you replace dollar one with David Sparks, then you're sending out an invoice for David Sparks $99.99. Um, and as far as I'm aware, David, you're not yet your own currency or has it changed recently? No, I, I don't think I ever will be. I, I think that's, that ship <laughs> has sailed checking. for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there's always tomorrow, you know, never say never. So I really like the idea of French quotes. I mean, I like them too, but they're a bit difficult to type on iOS. And that's something that I always like to keep in mind. What character can I really easily type without thinking? Um, and so for me, the forward and the backslash symbols are definitely where it's at because I can type those without the shift key um, when I've got a physical keyboard. It is a bit trickier on iOS when I'm using a software keyboard, but drafts actions to the rescue when I'm on iOS again. Uh, I have a custom uh, keyboard row, um, the the row that appears, or it's an action group that I, I use above the keyboard, um, and it lets me easily insert things like that. Um, and the other advantage for me is the double slash in um, uh, code languages is generally considered the start of a comment line. Yeah. So for me, that's automatically like note to self. Um, so I, I like double forward slash. Um, but sometimes, depending on the document, I have been known to do double forward slash at the start of a variable and double backslash at the end of a variable. Now, see, I don't see why you need to do backslash at the end. You could do two forward slashes on either end. And then you can avoid that. Well, the reason why I like to enclose a variable, so that would mean having something at the start and something at the end, is because what, for example, if, so say, for example, I have attorney as a variable and attorney at law as a variable. Um, now, I'm just picking out two completely random things based on stuff that I've been dealing with today. In case you can't tell, I'm attempting to buy a house. Um, so, um, But these, you know, these two things pop up, but I need to fill them with different information. If I just have slash slash attorney, then attorney at law is going to not is going to be replaced with whatever slash slash attorney is. And that might not be the same information. All right. But you could do. So the way I would do that is I would have slash slash attorney slash slash. And then I would have yes. slash slash attorney yeah. at law slash slash. But if, if it's yeah. a pain in the neck to get the backslash, I would use the forward slash. I don't like yeah. I mean, I'd, backslash and forward slash are both, you know, the one key on the keyboard, no shift key required, at least yeah. mem American layout. If memory serves the same British layout, I don't have a British keyboard at hand at the moment. It's somewhere yeah. in the back of a, a wardrobe. Um, but, um, I like using different symbols because then I know that it's not the start of another variable. Now it's unlikely that I will be using two variables adjacent to each other. 
except where I've got maybe got something like due date and due time in, say, an OmniFocus task uh, project template, which is maybe it's not a document template, but I consider it a document template because it's one of my most frequently used ones uh, or my most frequently used type of document uh, template. But yeah. it's it, it works well for me. And that, that's kind of the programmer in you coming out too, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the other thing is, is with regular expressions, I mentioned this briefly before, but if in a regular expression, you look for something that starts and then continuing on, you need a continuing on until, because otherwise you're going to go to the end of your document. Yeah, I um, yeah. And so for me, I very much like to have an explicit end. This is the end of my thing so that I know where I'm starting and where I'm stopping. I, I was thinking about this before we recorded it, and I was thinking I might just start using the pipe, you know, the straight yeah. up and down. Uh, that's easy to access on the iOS keyboard. It take, requires a shift on the Mac keyboard, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, and I kind of like the way it looks because I think when you look at a document, those pipes will really stand out for the variables as you look across the document. So that may be the way I go. The only thing I'm going to say there, David, you like Markdown. Pipes are used in Markdown tables. That's true. <sighs> All right. I'm not trying to scuffer all of your otherwise brilliantly no, laid no, no, plans. No. I, I'm I mean, just pointing the, out the pitfall for our for our listeners. And one of the problems for me is that you know the the stuff I'm doing right now breaks in Markdown, so I don't want any Markdown. You're right. I rarely make Markdown tables, but you're right that does show up. Um, I'm gonna use forward slash. Okay, and I like that because it's a, it's the comment thing. But I'm gonna uh, unlike you, Rose. I think I'm just gonna use forward slash on both ends. So I'm glad we were able to work that out. <laughs> well, I'm glad too. I mean, it really depends. I've got a couple of different things running around and at some point i really ought to just consolidate what i'm doing um and be consistent everywhere but at the same time there's no fun in that so you know let's yeah. let's be inconsistent and continue to have automation nerdery fun yeah and and the fact is all the scripts i've already written with the asterisks i'm not going to go back and change them unless i have a really good reason to so that's still going to be my life for a while um yeah but anyway so that that's the second really way of doing this this is also simple uh, it gets better accuracy because you're typing the variable once. Um, I think it, for a very low investment, just taking the time, just taking the time to write those variable names in, I think that is totally worth it. And and you're going to be happy with it. Um, the downside to that is it's still a lot of work at the end, you know, when you have to run it and manually type them in. And it's a very easy to overwrite the template with these problems. You know, I mean, I, I recommend you generate them as template documents within word mm. and pages. If yeah. you, yeah. if you just have a folder and you open it, you are eventually going to forget and then you're going to overwrite the template with variables and then you've got to go unwind it all. Definitely. Yeah. That is going to happen. And I say that as the voice of somebody who has done this exact thing many, many times to herself. Yeah. Not that I've ever done this, but if I had done it, what I would do is immediately duplicate the one that I filled in and then go back to the original and hit command Z like a hundred times. And that would restore the template, but not that I've ever done it. That is exactly what I would do. Yeah. Or time machine backup. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get to, and th but see that, and that's where I should have stopped Rose. I mean, that's a great way to automate documents. It's not super nerdy, but it it's fast and easy, but I wanted yeah. something better. And so over the years, this is where I ran into the Apple scripts and the various methods I've been trying. And I, I've always been really doing these on Mac and the solution I've come up with is keyboard maestro automation um, I've got full videos on these in the Keyboard Maestro field guide. I'll figure out something I can share when the show publishes. 
Um, but the, the way you do it is you're UI scripting keyboard maestro. And, um, I, uh, what I do is I open a template version of the document and then I have keyboard maestro pause. There's so many pauses in these scripts because search and replace is a time intensive thing. And if you run these scripts without pauses, they won't work. You know, it will just, it'll crash. Uh, but you, you pause and then you hit the keyboard combination for save as, and fortunately with pages and word it, when you save as it puts the cursor in the save field. So then you, you grab the variables. I guess I got ahead of myself. So the first thing that script does is it prompts you to insert variables. You know, what's the name, what's the company name, what's the date. And, and with keyboard master, you can automate a bunch of that stuff. Like you can put the date in automatically, you know, use today's date. And, um, if you run the variable input script a couple times, you can, you can use a previously entered variable like I was talking about earlier in the show. But once you've collected those, then you run the script. The first thing you do is you open the template, then you make a copy of the template and insert the name using the variable. So if it's the Acme Company shareholder meeting, I will type in the Acme Company name from the variable and the shareholder meeting name will already be there. So it just saves a copy of it. And then it just follows in the application, the keyboard um, strokes you would use to search and replace. You know, in pages, it's Command F. So you just hit Command F and then you you literally hit the tabs and type in the variable name. Then you hit a tab key and you type in the, um, the actual variable text. So the variable name may be um, slash slash company slash slash and the company name will be the Acme company and then it goes through and does a search and replace for those and you know that's it's not rocket science but it works and you've just got to put plenty of pauses in and let it kind of do its thing and get through the document and one of the the tricks to this is once you've done it for one document, you can do it for 10 documents. So like if I'm doing a company thing as a lawyer and there's five documents related to a shareholder meeting, I only have to type in the variables once. And then once it finishes, you know, all the search and replace, it hits command S, which is save. And it pauses for like two seconds. Then it goes and opens another template and it does the same thing using the variables I've already typed in. And it's not immediate but it, the whole thing happens within a few minutes. It's kind of fun to watch your computer just go off and generate documents for you. And Definitely. I find it really useful. One of the things you can run into trouble with this because your UI scripting, the UI has to be what the automation expects with mm -hmm. the um, pages document, the, the state of the find box, it remembers that. So it could either be find and replace or there's like a disclosure arrow. If you click that, it's just find. If the last time you did it, you just left it on find. You didn't turn it to find and replace. The script will break because it doesn't have a, a replace field to find, you know. So there's all sorts of ways things can break, you know. But if you just kind of, you know, learn the ropes and you build these scripts, it's it's pretty impressive to sit here and watch it generate a bunch of documents for you. I mean, you can always add an if to say if it finds the disclosure arrow in the up position on the screen, then it should click it. And pause yeah. for a second and then continue. But yeah, I, I see where that could break. Um, there's another thing that we haven't actually talked about yet, which is under, uh, at least in pages, I know it exists in Word as well, but under the format advanced menu, you can define 
text or a media as placeholders, which means that when you open a template, then you just sort of, you click at whatever the field is and then you type and it fills it out. Now this, you know, doesn't have the amazingness of the keyboard maestro where you can fill out multiple documents, but especially if you're preparing templates that you're going to be using or giving to other people, it's a very end user friendly way of doing things. Um, And I'm all for end user friendly ways of doing things because every so often I have actually quite a few templates with that sort of thing in it because I don't use them very often, but when I need to fill things out and send them, you know, it's great to just open it up and it's like, okay, blue field, blue field, blue field, blue field, blue field, no more yeah. blue fields, save, done. Yeah. Um, and and that works great for things like that. Now, where that really doesn't work very well is if you need to input the same data in multiple places, that is where something with a find or a place is going to be much nicer because it's, you know, it's designed to really, you know, the find and replace solution will find every single instance of this and replace it instead of you having to type Una Semper 8,001 times because Una Semper's name appears in the document 8,001 times. Yeah. And that is, a that's the reason why I rarely use that feature because I most always have multiple instances of the same variable and, yeah. and it just, drives me crazy and then then you lose the accuracy element of automation because you're typing the same name 10 times you may have got it wrong once yes and then you you send something to uma semper instead of una um and uh you know then you know everything falls apart and there's no legal case anymore because there's no person of that name at this address now with word it's even more tricky it's i think shift command h is the find search and replace Mm -hmm. command to open uh, find and replace but Word does not, <laughs> the replace all doesn't work the same in Word. So you have to literally run the command as many times as you want to do search and replace. However, yep. I've found that if you run it more than the minimum number of times, it doesn't cause a problem. So you just have it run 100 times for every single variable? Uh, like 20 times. I, that, okay. Yeah. And, and if I if it's one that I know, there's only a few instances, I'll cut it down to three or four. But I um I will run it multiple times and it's just like all of these are hacks but they work. Yeah. I mean that's the thing, right? If it works then it's not really a hack. It's just, you know, something that gets the job done. And there's no shame in having a bit of duct tape in your life as long yeah. as it gets the job done. But for what I find, you know, that very useful is transactions involving multiple documents. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot of people listening to this are even going to need that. But if you want to, that's where you go with it, to Keyboard Maestro. And I can tell you, I've tried everything else, and none of them really work very well. Um, uh, if it's just a one-off document, it's literally just as fast to have a template document and do that and not even bother with making the Keyboard Maestro script because mm-hmm. you're just going to type the name and insert and <laughs> search and replace. So maybe a few less mouse clicks with Keyboard Maestro, but for one document, the payoff isn't worth the investment. Yeah. Makes sense. You could also throw money at the problem. Uh, there's a great app called Hot Docs. Lawyers love that. And it you know creates generates documents with search and replace for you and has many, many tools and goes much deeper. And DocuSign is another one. There's several online document signing services, but DocuSign has a, a fill-in format too as well. If you've got stuff you want other people to sign for you, I would recommend doing that automation from inside DocuSign. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Some strange problems with search and replace that you may run into, um, his and her, you know, what is the, you know, what is it? And if you have a long document and you have, you know, his versus her, you can create variables for that, but it's also got to be he versus she and, you know, every iteration of that. 
but you can do that in a variable and, and search and replace it to fix it. Uh, verb tenses, singular and plural, stuff like that can often run into a problem if you get too fancy with your document. And I've made very complex templates that try to solve all those problems and they never really work. My advice is get the basic template made and then read the document and fix what you need to fix. You know? Yeah. 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 This is where having an assistant comes in handy because you can hand something that you've already done off to an assistant and have them double check and say, uh, Hey, looks like you've mixed this up here or something over there and it, it doesn't quite work. Or you can go ahead and just have uh, Siri or whichever voice assistant you're referring today, read the whole thing out loud. I find that's often a good way of catching these things, but it's not as automated as I would love. Except my pages are, my documents are like 30 pages long. I don't have the patience. Yeah, you're not going to do that. You can take a great nap while listening to your documents. Yeah, exactly. It's like my dad. He watches TV with his eyes closed. This episode of Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you access the internet as if you're from a different country. Netflix has different shows and movies available depending on where you are. And with ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries around the world. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. You can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. And ExpressVPN is available on every device, phones, laptops, tablets, even your TV. ExpressVPN works with many streaming services, such as Netflix, Amazon Prime, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and many more and you can choose from almost 100 different countries. It's so simple to use. Just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change the location, hit connect, and then refresh the page, and the show or movie you want to watch will magically appear. Personally, I've been using ExpressVPN a lot recently. Having recently moved countries, there's stuff that I can't get at in one country that I need to be able to access. So, for example, my Austrian bank, for some reason, wouldn't let me access their webpage from the UK for a while. I contacted their support and they said, it's a security problem. You shouldn't be outside of Austria when you need to check your own bank account information. To which I said, okay, I'll ExpressVPN it. And I've also used ExpressVPN to make sure that I've stayed up on top of my Netflix watching. Glee, for some reason, didn't show up as available over here on Netflix, and uh, now it is, but to start with, I had to ExpressVPN that too. Right now, if you go to expressvpn.com slash automators, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash automators. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, uh... Rose, we've had a couple questions from listeners about problems they're trying to solve. We have. And uh, one of them is something that I've also personally been struggling with, but I've been struggling with it for a different reason, which is stacking shortcuts widgets on iOS 14. Now, I should start this by saying iOS 14 is in beta. Betas can be unstable, some less stable than others. Um, I've had some interesting missing keyboard issues this week. Um, so if, if it's not working for you or you can't stack the really large widget uh, on iOS 14, it's not you, it's iOS 14. But stacking iOS 14 shortcuts widgets is something that is an amazing thing to do. And uh, have you done it, David? How many shortcuts widgets do you have stacked right now? Yeah, I uh, I feel like um, now it's the challenge. Like, how many, how few shortcuts can you get away with? Um, historically, oh, yeah. I have like I've done videos on you know a whole home screen full of shortcuts, and 
uh, I'm not doing that with the new with the new thing. And iOS 14 is not out yet, but you and I are both on the beta. I, I will second your keyboard problem, by the way. My my keyboard disappears during beta four right now, which is kind of fun. Like you're in the middle of typing like a day one entry and the keyboard's like. Yeah, it's always the share sheet and like notification responses for me. So I can type like 15 characters and then it goes. Yeah, um, and so I, I, I should note, I have submitted beta feedback on this and everybody who experiences this, please also submit feedback. The more feedback they get, the higher they prioritize these things. So the more likely it is it's going to get fixed. I'm sure Apple are going to fix it, but please file your feedback. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the fact that the keyboard drops off the screen um, is something that they're going <laughs> to take some time to figure that out. I really hope so. <laughs> yeah. It, it, beta four has been the roughest of the betas in, in this yeah. year, but the, uh, but yeah, I'm sure they'll get it sorted out. But the, um, the, this is an interesting question though. Like for me, what I'm going to right now, what I've been doing with my home screen with the beta is I've got one large component that shows today's calendar. You know, uh, we talked about on this show last year when they had the potential of making a shortcut to show a screenshot, you know, like you change the screenshot was what if we designed a shortcut that put your calendar into a large view, turn that into a screenshot every morning and then put it on your, the background of your desktop or your, uh, your home screen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the idea being let's build a home screen that shows my daily calendar. Well, now you can do that. It's not a shortcut. It's actually just a calendar element that you put. If you put the large one in, it looks great. It shows your daily calendar. I really love it. And I'm sure that like when Fantastical gets their version of widgets out, it's going to be even better. So that's cool. And then I just kind of for completion, I also put a large photos element on that same one. And I don't right. have it automatically choose for me. I usually shows a calendar, but if I'm in the mood, I'll just flip it and see a picture. And every time it's a different picture and it, it delights me. But then I have the bottom third of the screen where a normal person would put apps, but I have the smaller element down there and uh, I'm sorry, the medium element. So it's like a two by four set of mm -hmm. icons. And I have that with two things. It's either shortcuts with four buttons or drafts, which the drafts um, for those of you that love drafts, just wait until you get iOS 14. Anyway. Oh, uh, so good. So, so I only have four buttons and that was the problem I was facing is how do I get my shortcuts library into four buttons? Well, it really wasn't that hard for me because there's three shortcuts that I use all the time. And, you know, going back to the top of the show, when I talked about, I'm doing this keyboard maestro contextual thing, I do the same thing with shortcuts. So I like to think in terms of context. So like I'm going to do Max Sparky now, if I press the Max Sparky shortcut, it's a choose from menu list that has all of the shortcuts that relate to Max Sparky. You know, one of them may be, set a toggle timer for planning and open the Max Sparky planning page or, or um, um, uh, view in OmniFocus. Or it'll be like, check my email, and it will set a toggle timer for checking email for Max Sparky and then go into this Max Sparky email inbox in mail. It won't go into the Sparks law or the personal one. So I love the idea of staying in my lane in terms of when I want to work on one area of my life, I just go there. And I can use shortcuts to force me down those lanes. Uh, in addition, mm -hmm. I've got a bunch of Max Sparky related shortcuts, you know, all the steps it goes through to prepare a new blog post from setting up the draft to setting the OmniFocus task and, you know, stacking things exactly what shortcuts is really good at. So yeah. I have those three. And so those are the first three buttons. One is personal 
you know, one is Max Barkey, one is legal. So I had one button left. <laughs> and then just one. Yeah. So then what I did was I, I have created a bunch of choose from menu shortcuts on different areas of my life, like photography or system that's got all the various, you know, system apps and settings I do to one's called music and it opens like it's got access to the tuner app that I use when I play my sax and the, you know, the app I use to read sheet music. So I've got these various other like choose from menu groups. And historically I had all those on the home screen, but then what I did now is I just made one called groups and that's got all of those groups under it. So it's a choose from menu to choose from menu, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so it adds one extra step. But in trade-off for that, I get to have a full-size calendar on my home screen, which to me is like a total worth it. You know, I can yeah. look at my phone at any time and know what my next three three events are. And if you block schedule like me, that is really nice. Yes. I'm really looking forward to seeing what other uh, widgets uh, app developers come up with. So I'm on quite a few betas. So uh, I've seen things, many things I'm not allowed to talk about. So in order to make sure that I don't break anybody's rules, I'm just not going to say anything except for Dark Noise has got one. And I actually like that. And I love having a stack of widgets. So at the moment I have... Um, I've been I've been trying the Max Parkey method because you know we've been talking about this off the air as well as on the air, um, David. And so I've I've been trying that with where I've got four shortcuts for the four different areas of my life. So I've got my day job, um, I've got automators, I've got nested folders, and I've got screencasts online. I think I'm going to have to do some consolidation there because like the suite setup is not on my home screen and. Um, I, I would really like to have everything that I'm doing, you know, available. So I might have to have Rosemary Orchard nerd and then moving house is another one because that appears to be taking over my life right now. He knew that was so complicated. Have we got robots to automate that yet, David, or something? I really need something. Yeah. There. I th- yeah, that would help. <laughs> let me know it if would. you figure out yeah. a way to automate Yeah, if that. anybody has automations for moving house, then please let me know because I would really love that. Um, but yeah, so I've got that. But then um, I realized that there are a couple of shortcuts that I access quite frequently. Um, and sometimes I need access to with just a few taps. So for example, I was driving the other day and I realized actually I didn't need to go where my map had t- told me where I was going. Uh, or where I'd originally set my map to where I was going, I needed to go somewhere else. So I pulled over to the side of the road and, and you know, um, reprogrammed my map. But I had to take my phone out of the, the holder on my dashboard and do everything. And I was pulled off the road in a nice, safe parking lot. So it was safe. But I was there going, there's got to be a better way to do this. And of course, I do have, um, you know, a shortcut for this. I have my driving shortcut, which I use every time I drive where I touch my phone to an NFC tag, but that would restart my music and stuff like that. And I realized I can break this down and just take the destinations part out of it and run that in the main shortcut. But then I can also have the destinations in like a quick access area on my home screen where I can just swipe to get to it and tap it. And then it will go, hey, where do you want to go? Um, and I decided to do that. And so I've now started adding a few shortcuts, like, uh, anything, anytime that I think of something I need to buy for my new place, a shortcut pops up and is like, Hey, what do you need to buy? I type in a list of stuff and then it asks me for each one, you know, like, is this something that you need to buy here, there, or just anywhere and adds it to my OmniFocus. So I've got multiple shortcuts folders stacked um, as widgets. Um, and one of them is called quick access. And the other one is called home screen, because I'm very creative with naming. And each of these just contains four shortcuts for the time being. But I am considering potentially switching this to one big shortcut. 
uh, one big widget. But at the moment, I am unable to stack big widgets. Um, so I, I think this is a problem because of my screen size. Um, but I've not tried, I've not put my t- old 10s Max that I, I use for testing things that don't work on iOS 14 on iOS 14 yet. So uh, I can't be 100% sure there. Yeah, I, I tested like stacking these uh, medium size widgets with, you know, multiple shortcuts, but I found that the time it was taking me to get to the right set of shortcuts was more frustrating to me than the time it takes me to just get to it to a choose from menu. One of the nice things they did with these widgets is the way it displays shortcuts is really clean. It comes from the top down. It only fills up as much screen as it needs. So it really almost feels like a built-in app if you run it from a widget. So I think a lot of people are going to want to do this. Mm -hmm. And I had to think long and hard about putting, and I guess I'm maybe I'm not supposed to talk about drafts. Sorry, Greg. But the uh, I think drafts is okay to talk about. Greg's pretty open about what he does. But the um but that one I thought long and hard about, but I, I like draft so much that that is the one I'm willing to toggle with the mm-hmm. shortcuts widget. Yeah. Like, okay, go to drafts and then go to my, my uh, Max Sparky cooking um, view, which is my filter that shows me the posts I'm, I'm in the process of writing. So it's just like some of this stuff is just so fast. But yeah, it really is interesting to me that very quickly I've got to a point where the only apps on my home screen are in my dock. And, um, it's just not been a problem. And even at least right now, I don't even have any apps on the second screen. It just goes to the, that what's that view called the app library on the second app page. Library. Yeah. So, I so my literally... second page is actually widgets. Um, and then yeah. I have the app library after that, because I have some more things that I want to be able to quickly see, but I'm not so keen on necessarily having immediately under my thumb. So for example, the dark noise widget is stacked with a couple of other things, um, on the second page. Uh, because I like to be able to get it that quickly, but I don't necessarily need to be able to, um, you know, get it that so quickly. It's not, you know, urgent information. Yeah. So I put those on the today view screen, you know, the historical mm-hmm. today view screen. So yeah. I've got a bunch of, I swipe to the, to, I've abandoned right that screen because okay. at one point I couldn't edit it and I kind of then forgot about it. So I should go back and revisit that. But. Yeah, it's nice. And I will let you know that I now have a clock on my Today View screen. It very clearly shows me what time it is in London. So I will no longer be clueless when I talk to you about Yay. what time it is. I, I should note that at like 7 p.m. here, Dave has been asking like, are you in bed? And I'm like, no, it's 7 p.m. I've just had dinner. <laughs> I, don't know what's, I don't know what the block is there for me, but for some reason, I always think I'm calling you at like 2 a.m. I don't know. Why. Yeah. Yeah, you've never called me at 2 a.m., David, so we're good. And also, I have Do Not Disturb, so even if you did call me, it wouldn't go through. So Yeah, I I have faith in D&D. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so there's the answer. I I feel like um, it's going to work. To me, the the answer is use Choose From Menu and Consolidate Down. Yeah, definitely. Because I do these contextual-based shortcuts, it really isn't that big of a stretch for me. Yeah, because those those um like when I press the Max Sparky button, there's a button there that says RSS. All it does is open my RSS app. But then there's a button there that says write a new blog post, and it's like a twenty step shortcut that does a whole bunch of things. And I, you know, mixing them together under one menu is not a problem for me. So it's it's uh I think that's a nice way to solve the problem. Or you could also just go back to the old way and make separate shortcut icons. You don't have to use these widgets at all. 
The advantage of the widgets over the separate shortcut icons is then you do get it running like it's running through Siri. So that means like menus pop down from the dock and so on. Whereas if you add the shortcut directly to your home screen, it will open the shortcuts app and run it. Now, it doesn't do what it used to do a very long time ago, which is that dance to Safari, leaving you with an empty Safari tab and then to to shortcuts. It does just go straight to shortcuts. But that's still uh, something that people may want to take into account when they're doing this. I'm totally sold on the widget. I am not oh, yeah. going back to the home screen icons on my desktop or my home screen more. It's just not going to happen. And it's driving me nuts that I can't put more widgets on the iPad. That's probably a discussion for another day. But <laughs> Apple, if you're listening, please more widgets on the iPad. I have a big screen and want to fill it with widgets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so like on the iPad, it's worse than the iPhone because basically on the iPhone, you have six medium units you could have you know three me i'm sorry you have three medium units you could have three medium size widgets or you could have you know t- one big one and one medium size but the default on the ipad is two medium size widgets you've got to actually scroll to see any more so it's actually harder on the ipad you have less room for widgets on the ipad as it boots up than you do on the iphone which is mm-hmm. crazy to me but uh, like i said i think i'm whining i've submitted tickets on this and i don't think it's going to change but yeah send feedback to apple people send feedback to apple maybe it's a low-hanging fruit for uh uh, 14.3 whenever they add more features i hope so but the um so on the ipad even with less space i still give one medium slot to shortcuts i mean it's got to be there for me and it's the same shortcuts on your ipad as on your iphone yeah yeah exact same ones at the moment on the iPad, I'm still using home screen icons and just opening the shortcuts app and searching, um, but it's probably going to change um, as my usage evolves. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by DevonThink. Go to devontechnologies.com slash automators to get 10% off DevonThink 3 today. DevonThink is the flagship product from Devon Technologies with DevonThink you have a professional document and information management application for the Mac, and it helps you collect, file, organize, edit, and annotate all kinds of documents so you can reach digital organizational heaven. Archive all your email with the enhanced email archiver and scan your paper documents with the revised scanner interface. You can even imprint PDFs with custom stamps before giving them to others. I was just doing this the other day, and Devin think I have a document that I want to send off to a client. It's a PDF, but it's a draft. I have an imprint built into DevonThink that just puts a big draft stamp on it. So I press one button in DevonThink, then I can share it to the client with a draft stamp. Then organize your documents in any way you want. Smart groups let you create different views on your data. Integrated AI insists you with filing and searching. You can automate your workflow, create smart rules, and add flexible reminders to any document. Now, Automators fans, you're going to love the automation in DevonThink. With even non-programmers can easily automate many parts of the workflow. You want to name a file, you can do it. You want to put it in a specific location, you can do it. You can even automate copying it out to an external folder outside of DevonThink. So let's say you've got a Dropbox folder you share with somebody. You can do that. So you can delegate the boring repeating tasks to DevonThink and get back to work. And finally, sync your data securely between your devices. Using your preferred web storage or even directly on the local network, take your data with you with DevonThink's iOS companion app. Now you can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash automators. 
Once again, that's devontechnologies.com slash automators for 10% off. And our thanks to Devon Think Technologies for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. We've been automating documents and, you know, we've been playing with iOS 14 and breaking everything. Uh, what else have you been doing recently? Because I know you've been playing with a lot of different things because, you know, we, we send messages back and forth, people. Uh, we do talk outside of podcasting. It's good fun. And uh, I've seen some a lot of things coming from you recently where you've been showing off what you've been doing. So do you want to tell us about some of that? Uh, with you, Rose, I'm not showing off. I'm actually looking for you to punch holes in it for me because you're one of well, my I do that uh, sometimes, favorite automators. But, you know, and, uh, I try and be nice as well because, you know, just punching holes in things all the time is not necessarily productive yeah well uh, there's a problem i've been trying to solve recently with automation in terms of email automation and this is for the the legal job a lot of times uh, i get emails that are of substance that i want to keep you know and i have been using different ways to solve this problem over the years but like creating a link to an email i don't think really is a good solution because then it's got a like link to my email app to get a copy of it and ultimately i decided the problem is something that i just need to print them off as pdfs there's some emails i need to keep like a historical record of so you know the I went through the various phases with this. You know, the first thing I did was use Apple Mail's built-in um, export as PDF uh, feature, which I have discovered recently is terrible. It doesn't work 100% of the time. So for a little while I was doing it, and I had assigned its own keyboard shortcut. I was using uh, Option-Command-P, and it would use the export as as PDF in Apple Mail. And I went back and looked at some of them, and they were blank. And I'm like huh, you know, that's not what I want. When I press export as PDF, I don't want you to make a blank PDF for me. I'd actually like you to make a PDF of the email. So I went looking through uh, the forums and sure enough, there's other people uh, experiencing the same behavior. So there's something broken in export as PDF. It's not just a big Sur thing. I think it's been going on now for a while. But uh, the good news is Apple Mail still has the command P print and then command P print as PDF feature, which you mm-hmm. can do. So uh, I was putting a delay and I hit command P to print and it gives you a print preview and it would show me that it had actually rendered a PDF of the email. And then I hit command P again with another little keyboard automation to save as PDF. Um, so I was doing that and that's what kind of got me down the automation path, realizing, oh, I'm doing this repeatedly many times a day this is something i should automate why should i hit command p pause for two seconds to and then hit command p again so that was the first script i wrote it's just a, a simple keyboard master script but then i got thinking well if i'm going to do this if i'm going to go through the trouble of automating hitting command p twice and i do put a two second delay just to give myself a chance to see that it's rendered properly because i don't trust it at this point well why don't i just name it too right and because that's opening a save dialog box, I can tab into that with keyboard maestro and type in a name. And initially I, you know, I did that as a inquiry, you know, I would put up an inquiry to the user to say, you know, what's the date, what's, who's the sender, who's the recipient, what's the subject of this. And I could type in some variables and it would fill it in for me. I could have alternatively done that as a text expander script, but I quickly realized, well, that's, that's okay, but that's not perfect because the date, in order to get the date and time of the email, I have to look at the email separately. Or if I just pull the automatic date in, it's going to have the date that I'm running the script, which is not the time the email was sent. 
So then I started thinking, well, why don't I query Apple Mail to give me the date and time of the original email? Um, which, you know, ultimately led me down the Apple script, you know, rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And uh, Apple script and Apple Mail work together pretty well, but they are also kind of goofy, right? Um, yeah. There's like whoever did the original dictionary for it, I don't think they were, you know, it's like, just to give you an example, one of the hangups I had on this, and I'm going to share the script of when the show publishes, but the sender and the recipient, I wanted, so I wanted to ultimately do is grab the date and time of the email. Then I wanted to put the name of the sender and the name of the recipient in the name of the email. So I can look in the file and see sorted by date that I put in the name of the recipient dash name, I'm sorry, name of the sender dash name of recipient, and then another dash with the subject line from the email. So getting those, all those pieces together was what I wanted to do. Yeah. It it was harder than you think because sender is a term in the Apple mail dictionary. So like get sender of this email. So I figured that out relatively quickly. So if I wanted to add the recipient, what do you think the term is you would use? Don't tell if you already know. No, I'm, I don't actually know. I'm just guessing getter or something crazy. Get what? Getter as in like get the get person getting this. I don't yeah. know. No, getter. That's a good. That's actually get. Well, the verb you use in Apple script is get from the from the um, mail entry. So you get sender. So you would think the other one would be get recipient, right? Sender. Logically, recipient. that would be very logical. You know? So I spent a bunch of time like banging my head against the wall and recipient and what i didn't do and if sal is listening he's laughing at me because him and i actually talked after i solved the problem and he told me yeah you, you didn't you did this in the wrong order dave but all i had to do is go to the dictionary if you go in the scripting app there's a dictionary for every app but the the answer was an apple mail it's two recipients so get to recipients with an S on the end. And the thing that really drives me crazy, Rose, is for like 30 minutes, I was trying to recipient. It oh, never occurred no. to me the S. to put an the S plural. on the end, you know? <laughs> and, oh, poor David. Yeah, you know. Oh. But anyway, I eventually got there and I came up with a script that yanks out the date and the time. And then there's a whole bunch of Apple scripting I had to do to turn that into the ISO format where it's, you know, day dash month dash year and numbers, but I don't need to bore you with the details. You guys can download it and play with it. And then it dashes with the name of the sender dash name of recipient. Then it dashes and gives me the subject line. And with all of those bits together, now I have an app, a keyboard master script that will hit the print twice save it, let me check it, pull all that data out, name the file. And then the last thing it does is it tabs and adds the email tag to it. And it leaves the cursor in the tag field with the email tag. And I just type the client name as a tag. And then, so all I have to do is hit the, um, which by the way, this, the keyboard maestro shortcut I use is, is option command P, which is what I use, used to use to do the print, you know, but now it just does a whole bunch more. And at the end, all I do is type in the client name as a tag and it saves it to a folder on iCloud and Hazel says, Oh, Hey, there's a, there's an email tag and it's got the, you know, Wiley coyote client tag. So put this into the email folder with the Wiley coyote um, email folder. Yeah. And all this happens very quickly and it's great. 
but it, it did. I spent like two hours writing the script and honestly, it took me a half hour to write the script and it took me an hour and a half to figure out the two recipient. Cause I was too stupid to go into the dictionary at the beginning. <laughs> well, I mean, it happens to everybody. You know, I, I had a thing earlier today where I was trying to figure out how, why a script at work wasn't working. It turned out I was running it from the wrong folder. Stuff doesn't work if it doesn't have access to the right data. So it, you know, it happens to us all, David. Yeah. But uh, I've been uh, playing with things as well because, I mean, you, you've been inspiring me because you've been sending me a lot of things recently, a lot of which we're going to see in, in the next couple of weeks uh, and months coming out. Um, but I realized this morning, so as, as I've mentioned several times, I'm moving house. There is no automation for this, but there are a heck of a lot of tasks in OmniFocus. Um, and I've got projects left, right, and center. I've got tags. I've got all sorts of things. Um, one of the things I realized I needed earlier today was a way to assign uh, a whole group of tasks to a different rooms of my new place so that I would know, you know, like this goes to this room and that goes in that room and that needs to be done in this room and so on. So if I'm looking and my dad says, hey, like, do you need me to do anything for you in the living room? I can be like, yes, actually, I need you to remove the electric fire and stuff like that uh, because I have an old electric fire in the living room of my new place and I don't need it. Um, so um, I decided that I was going to solve this with Omni Automation. And it's uh, a great little script. Uh, what I have is I have a tag called home that starts with a house emoji and then the space in the word home. And under this, I have every single room in my house. And I select say, for example, 10 tasks, and I run my script, and it pops up uh, a single prompt with every single one of my tasks as a line, and then a select uh, action, select item on the right-hand side of it with each of the rooms in there. And I go through and I assign a room to each tag, uh, task, and the room is a tag, and then I hit OK, and it's done. And it just goes through and it assigns every single one of them um, to... Um, you know, the the room. Now, it's a dumb script. It doesn't check whether or not things have already got rooms assigned because I realized I could solve that with perspectives and I didn't want to spend very long on this. But it is great because it means that I've gone through and I've assigned things and then I realized that I have a whole list of things to buy. And I was like, well, it would be great to know like where these things are going to go when I'm buying them so that if I'm buying, you know, like two blue items for the bedroom, I can check that the blues actually coordinate with each other and stuff like that, you know. Um, fun things. So I decided to go through and do that. And so I had a very unproductive afternoon sitting in the garden where it was 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and we don't have air conditioning in this country. So uh, it was hot. Um, and so I went and sat in the garden for a while and assigned all of these different things to rooms. And it's great. I now know where everything goes. Yeah, don't get me started on air conditioning in the UK. Hey, just go to Stonehenge. It's nice and cold there. Remember? I don't, you I don't understand. About it. Yeah, that's right. I was there in the summer. <laughs> I was at the, I wanted to, because I love woodworking and I, the Victorian Albert has this amazing woodworking display and it's on the top floor of the Victoria Albert. It's like a, it's like a H, it's like a greenhouse up there. And yeah, there's an OAC. There's like 800 year old wood. I, I should point out Queen Victoria was on the throne in the 1800s. Air conditioning didn't exist in America back then either. Yeah, but I feel like if you're going to put this beautiful, ancient, some of this Egyptian furniture up there, why oh, not? The, the actual like exhibits are climate controlled. They just don't waste it on the guests. No, no, they are not. The the furniture really? is not. <laughs> it is not. What? I thought it was all <laughs> behind glass. Nope. I know all of the costumes that they have there are climate controlled because fabric has to be well looked after. Otherwise, yeah. it just, you know, disintegrates. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I went off on a, on a tangent there, but I, I love that you're moving Rose because I can't, I just love all the automation that's coming out of Rose. Oh, put it this way. as soon moving. as I get in there, I mean, uh, okay, the, this is the kind of nerdy I've got to. I've ordered a new controller for my desk, which is smarter. So I have a, a nice fancy sit-stand desk. It's the Ikea Bacant for anybody who's curious. Um, but the controller that comes in it is kind of dumb. Um, so you press and hold the up button until it's at the right height and you press and hold the down button until it's at the right height. And it doesn't remember height like at all it's very dumb but i found somebody on the internet and they have an open source project where you can make a new controller which will remember things and i was there going this is wonderful but i don't own a soldering iron and with the current list of 291 items that i need to purchase for my new place i don't really want to add a soldering iron as number 292 um you know and then i would have to buy all the different components and then i noticed that they have a link where they sell the controller so i ordered a new controller for my desk so when i reassemble it i'll be able to press and hold um, the the up button and it will remember and then I can just press the up button say twice and it will go to position two which is going to be great because right now I'm currently sitting mostly inside of a wardrobe in my parents place and I am literally melting I have items of clothing stuck to me um, because it's very hot in here and there's no airflow because of noise while recording <laughs> Well, you you are living the dream because when you're alone in your new house, you you know, you don't have other people living with you, so you can go completely bananas with the home kit automation stuff. Like, oh, yeah. I like if I do certain things with my house, my family will rebel and probably lock me out. Uh, but yes. when you're on your own. Look out. That said, I am planning on making things guest friendly. So um, instead of putting hue lights in the overhead lights, I think I'm going to get, um, we don't have Lutron Caseta over here, but yeah. there is, I think it's called Lightwave. They're available for sale in the Apple store. Now these switches are not cheap. They're like uh, uh, 60 pounds. So maybe 70, $75 each, yeah. uh, which is kind of pricey. But if I put those in, then I'm still going to be able to control everything with my phone. And I, okay, I wouldn't have fancy colored lights in the overheads, but I can live without that. Um, and I'll just have colored lights as accent everywhere else. Oh yeah. I'm so happy I did that. It took me like a year and a half to slowly, I didn't like just spend all the money at once, but you know, I'd buy myself a present once in a while. It would be a Lutron switch, you know, and now it's all throughout the house and it's yeah, just, it's that's, great. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm also probably going to get uh, ceiling fans for uh, the bedroom and my office slash studio because uh, I want air circulation in those rooms and it yeah. would be great to have a way of doing that. And if I get the one with a remote control, then maybe I can get fancy. I don't necessarily want to buy a whole extra Logitech Harmony for that though. Um, because they come with like IR remotes, like, you know, the old TV remotes, but, um, you know, I'll see what I can do. Worst case scenario, I'll have a remote control on my desk where I can turn on and off the fan. So it'll be better than sitting here sweltering in my parents' house. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I should probably get an IR blaster that I could automate to drive our fan from because it is just an IR remote. Max Barkey, you have a homework assignment. Figure out automating IR blasters without using the Logitech Harmony Hub. Okay, and, I'll look uh, into it. Get back to me because I'm going to need that in the future, but I'm not there yet, and uh, I don't want to go too crazy just yet. Yeah, and and that way, because I don't have a home kit fan, but I could in essence have one with an IR blaster. Yeah, or something close. All right, I'm on it. All right, good. Okay, uh, so we are the automators. We got a lot of great content coming up. We've got some great guest book coming up. We also got some real interesting stuff. We talked a little bit today about Omni Automation. We're going to do a whole show on that coming up because now it's out and there's a lot you can do with it. So just stay tuned. We'll see you here. You can find our forum over at talk.automators.fm. 
You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. Thank you to our sponsors, PDF pen, express VPN and Devon think, and we'll see you all in a few weeks. Goodbye everyone.